Well, good morning again, Woodside. I don't know about all of you, but child dedications do a pretty similar thing in my heart that baptisms do. Is that similar for some of you? There's just such beauty in watching these parents recommit their lives to the Lord by offering their child up to him. And then all of us, like hundreds of people, vow to help raise and serve and protect these little ones. I love church family, ours specifically, but also true in general. Parents, we've got fears about the future, right? Maybe the most significant, our child's future, whether or not our little one is going to walk with the Lord. But this, what we just watched here today, is a declaration of trust. It's like walking our little one by the hand into God's presence and offering them to him, saying that in spite of the worries of this life, in spite of what's to come, Lord, we trust you. We place our faith in Jesus Christ. So this week is our last week in our series, Emotions and Relationships. And over the last month and a bit, we've been looking at a whole host of human emotions. We've talked about how these emotions affect us and how they move us. And we've been using the Psalms as our insight into how we might understand why God has given us these emotions and how we can use them when we feel them. And this week is no different. We're going to look at an emotion through the lens of God's word, and we're going to unpack what, what are we to do when we feel like this, especially in the context of relationships. Now, just before we do that, I wonder if, does anyone know what the most repeated command in all of scripture is? We have a lot. Don't steal, don't lie, do pray, do honor each other. Does anybody know what's most repeated? Man, all of you know. Fantastic. <laughs> that is, that's the most repeated command in the Bible. Do not be afraid. Surprised? I mean, some iteration of don't be afraid happens well over a hundred times throughout the Bible. It's in every single literary type. Every single author in the New Testament says it. Jesus is quoted saying it at least 20 times throughout the Gospels. It's told to Abraham in Genesis, and it's told to the churches in Revelation. So what do we do with that? You've probably guessed by now the emotion we're going to be focusing on today is fear. And more specifically, what does fear do? How does it move us in relationships? Why would the most repeated instruction from God to us be about fear. Do you ever wonder that? I wonder if it's because he knows how prone we are to feeling this specific emotion. Human beings, we have this sort of innate sense of our finiteness, that we're limited. And so we're made to be afraid of all kinds of things throughout this life. And just before we get into our text for today, we should just say up front that every single person ever, including everyone who's here, has felt afraid or anxious or worried. We're all in the same boat on this one. This emotion is a totally normal part of what it means to be human. So if that's true, 
And if God has wired us in such a way that we feel this, how can we understand or reconcile God's command to us to not feel this way? Is he requiring something impossible of us? Is it sinful to feel afraid? Has anyone else wrestled with those kind of questions? Those are hard questions. We're going to go there this morning, and we're going to ask some of those tough questions, and we're going to try and balance Scripture in such a way that we can understand what it is that God is telling us. So just before we begin, let's pray together once again. Lord God, you are the creator. You've made everything by the work of your hands, and you've given us life by your breath. Lord, you know how all things are designed to function. And you know ultimately how you are going to make all things right again. Lord, would you increase our faith today? Would you meet with us by your Holy Spirit? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So our passage for this morning is Psalm 46. So if you would turn there with me in your Bibles, that would be great. That's going to be our primary text for today. I will just read it through, and then we can start unpacking. It's also on the screen. Psalm 46, for the director of music of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations that he's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so this psalm gives us this quick snapshot at our topic. And it kind of implies or leads us towards these three big questions. And they are these. Firstly, should we be afraid or not be afraid? Two, how should fear move us? And then lastly, how can we overcome fear or not live in fear? Those are big questions. <laughs> so we're going to be all over our Bibles this morning, but Psalm 46 gives us a good platform to work on. So let's begin with our first question. Should we be afraid as Christians or not be afraid? Let's look at verses 1 to 3. God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Seems pretty straightforward. 
We will not fear. Most repeated command in Scripture. But I think we can be honest and say there's a little more nuance there than just that. Because there are things that we are supposed to fear. For example, we're commanded throughout Scripture to fear God. We're permitted to fear instinctually, like if you're hiking and a bear comes running at you. It isn't wicked if your heart rate increases. In Romans 11, we read, don't become proud, but fear. In Philippians, work out your salvation with fear. In 1 Peter, conduct ourselves with fear. And so we'll end up having instances in Scripture where even the same author in one section will command us to fear, and then in the next, to fear not. And so we're left with this sense that fear is both fitting and unfitting to the Christian, depending on the context. Now certainly, if we take Scripture as a whole, it is weighted towards fearlessness over fearfulness. But there's certainly still a tension there. So let's go back to our psalm. It tells us that we will not fear. Well, in the face of what? Even though the earth is shaking, the mountains are falling, and the sea is roaring, we will not fear. How could we possibly remain fearless in the face of all of that? Well, look at what fearlessness is linked to. We have a therefore. It is because God has disclosed himself as a place of refuge, a safe place, as our strength, a power greater than us, and as ever-present, a companion. The psalmist is unafraid, not because they don't have good reason to be afraid. It looks like they probably do. But they have even more reason to be at peace. And this is the pattern that you will find as you search the scriptures. The command to fear not is linked to the character of God. Now, a lot of how you're going to receive this word from God is connected to how you hear this word from God. And so, if you hear the words, fear not, in an angry or condescending or sarcastic kind of voice, of course you're going to doubt the validity of the call. Now, many of us have been hurt by people, and maybe we've incorrectly misattributed that hurt onto God. Like, maybe you've had a bad father, and it's hard to relate to God the Father. Or maybe you've had a bad leader, and so it's, it's hard to relate to God the King. It makes total sense that there may be barriers for some of us to hearing these words from God in a loving tone. But I can promise you that is how he means them. God deeply wants what is best for people. And what is best for people does not include lives lived in or dominated by fear. And so if you're struggling this morning to hear the words fear not in the sort of way a perfect parent would comfort their frightened child, 
or the sort of way a perfect king would reassure an uneasy nation. If that's a struggle for you, would you just try and take a moment and see, what is this barrier for me? What's keeping me from hearing these words in a loving tone? What's keeping me from trusting that this is a good message from God? That these words are not linked to condemnation, they're linked to love. There's this awesome moment in the Gospels where the disciples are out in a boat and Jesus comes walking across the water towards them. The disciples kind of panic, then they realize it's Christ, and Peter says, I, I want to come out to you. And Jesus invites him out onto the storm. And then we read this as Peter walks. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. So Jesus reaches out, he grabs him, he saves him, he puts him in the boat, and then Jesus gives him the antidote to his fears, sort of by implication. Jesus says this to Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And so we learn that, that doubt has caused his fear, and that doubt was made possible because his faith was just little. Peter doubted the words from God. His faith was small. It was not big enough to trust that what Jesus has said to him, he meant. That's a tough one for us in this conversation, right? So you're saying, like, the reason I'm afraid is because my faith isn't big enough. So the more spiritually mature you are, the less you will feel afraid. Is that what you're saying? Honestly, sort of. Sort of. Pastor John Piper does a beautiful job giving words to this. I think you'll see the quote on the screen. Should fear then play a role up to a certain point and never again in the Christian life? The point after which fear will have no proper place in the Christian's life is the point at which his love is perfected. But none of us is yet perfected in love. None of us is without moments in which our delight in God fades and the things which are seen become deeply attractive. In these moments, we are in need of a warning from Paul in Romans 11 or from Hebrews 3 or from Jesus in Luke 12. In these moments, we ought not be completely free from fear because we are not completely controlled by love for God. That is, we're not living completely by faith. But the fear that we feel as Christians is itself a work of grace. It is a fear which casts us back into love for God and trust in his mercy. And thus, fear destroys itself. Fear is the proper servant of love for imperfect saints. We'll come back to this piece of the conversation a little, on, little later on, but I love how Piper says that the fear we feel as Christians is itself a work of grace because it reminds us that we are to run back to God. We're to look to God's love, to trust in God's mercy. So then fear actually ends up serving love, meaning fear can sort of be a means of grace in that it invites us back towards God to trust in him by faith. And so that's sort of our first big question, to fear or, or not to fear. And maybe instead of jumping right at one or the other, we might realize we can have a slightly more complex 
understanding of this where we realize, yeah, God has given us this sense and this emotion. He's made us with it. And he admonishes us to keep it in line with his will. And so if we are willing to say that fear is going to pop up in our lives, and if we are willing to say that God does not want us to live in fear, then we can get to our next question, which is how should fear move us then? If we have permission sort of to feel afraid, but are clearly called not to live in fear, how do we let this emotion move us towards God and to each other instead of away? So let's go back to our psalm, because I think we find a few hints, probably even directives for us, when we feel afraid. There are three parts of God's character or nature that are listed right up front, right at the beginning of the psalm. Can you see them there in verse 1? God is our refuge, our strength, and is ever-present. So we're given these three stabilizing truths when fear threatens to topple us. So let's look at each picture. Firstly, God as refuge. God tells us that he is like a walled city, a fortress, it says elsewhere in the psalm, a hiding place when opposition threatens to destroy us. Now, maybe that's not a picture of God that we're quick to identify with today. There's not a whole lot of fortresses in Elmira. But for the Israelites, this picture is really clear. And that's because most Israelites lived in villages, normally out in the hills, but within distance of a walled city. And so if an enemy was coming or attacking, the people would flee their homes and they would run to the city, to the refuge for shelter. That's picked up on in our psalm in verses 6 through 9 where the psalmist talks about God as a fortress among nations, that he's a stronghold that will not fail. And that sort of gives us our first move when we feel afraid. When we feel afraid, we run. But we don't just run any old direction it's probably not productive. We run towards God. We run to him. He is the place where we can escape from enemies, where we can hide, and ultimately where we can stop running. For us, this probably looks like we are quick to cry out to him. We run to God in prayer when we feel afraid. We run to his word to find his promises. So that's our first. And the second thing that God says that he is in the psalm is that he is our strength. He's our strength. That word strength is the same word for protection or force or security. He is those things. And this is why we run to this city. It sort of uh, offers a safety. This is like giving the city status. Now, not only is it walled, but those walls are strong. We haven't been left out in the hills to fend for ourselves, to protect ourselves. We have a fortress that offers us security on our behalf. And so if our first move was to run, our second is to trust. We can trust this city. We can trust in him. 
These walls are not rickety. They're not fragile. They're certainly not easily breached. God has never been defeated or overcome. We can trust in him when we run to him. He's stronger than whatever it is we are afraid of. He is more secure, more fortified, more substantial than any earthly thing that would set itself against us. I mean, look at the psalm. It talks about some terrifying natural disasters and then about human armies marching against them. Those are scary things. But the psalmist knows that creation is no match for creator. All things submit, ultimately, to God. And then we find our third comfort, which is that God himself is present in trouble. He's always present. He's ever-present. That ever-present phrase in English, in Hebrew, it's more literally translated, is found greatly. I love that. God isn't just found in times of trouble or in times of fear. He's found greatly. He's right there. It's an amazing part of this psalm. The psalmist somehow understands that God is present in a tangible way in their troubling circumstances. It makes that city picture come alive. And so now if our first move is to run to him and our second is to trust in him, then our third is to stay with him. And this one's beautiful because the running and the trusting, they have an element of our own effort. Like we could run somewhere else. We could run away from God. Or we could distrust the word of God. But we don't do anything to stay with him. He is the one who grants us his presence. He comes to us as we run to him. He shows himself to us and we trust in him. He stays with us and we seek to be in his presence. God has promised to be present. And this brings you and I somewhere that the psalmist could only dream of. Because this brings us to Jesus. Friends, Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Jesus promises to be our refuge. We're told that as Christians, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Jesus has promised to be our strength. And Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. I'm with you always. Jesus has promised to be present. Present eternally, forever. And this is so much more of a personal truth for us than for the psalmist. Because we know the Messiah. We have put, you and I have put our faith directly in the Savior. Straight in Jesus Christ. Not in the promise of a future Savior. In the actual Jesus. And we have this Savior who is identified with us. He became human. He was a man. He was fully human. Do we believe that? God's word tells us that Christ was tempted in every way. And so Jesus would have been tempted to fear. But friends, we don't have a single reference in Scripture 
that says Jesus was afraid. Not one. It's different than the other emotions in that sense. We've got lots of places where we say Jesus was angry. Jesus was sad. Jesus was thankful. Jesus was overwhelmed, yes, but he was not afraid. Even in the garden, we see Christ pouring out his heart to the Father, wrestling with what's to come, but proclaiming his commitment to and his confidence in the Father. He marched with resolve towards Calvary without being afraid of humanity or circumstances. How? How could he do that? Well, Christ tells us he and the Father are one. That's how. He knew the heart and the character of the Father so intimately that it left no room for fear, even in his humanity. As Piper said earlier, the point after which fear will have no proper place in the Christian's life is the point at which their love is perfected. In Christ, love was perfected. There's no room for fear. We're told the same thing in 1 John 4. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. That's Jesus. Friends, we have perfect, complete love ruling in our hearts and minds. Jesus is this, he's the perfect love. He casts out fear and he dwells inside of us by his Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? It is. I'm fired up. We have this beautiful promise from God that can release us from the grip of or the paralysis that fear brings. So you say, okay, Chris, great. So if I'm actually a Christian with Jesus in my heart, then I won't ever be afraid again, right? I mean, if Jesus isn't there, there's no room for fear. So what you're saying is every time I'm afraid, I lose my salvation. Is that what you're saying? No. No, not at all. But there is certainly the sense in Scripture that the closer we get to our Savior, the less we will be afraid. Friends, in his full presence, there's not going to be room for fear. And this is this now but not yet that Christians live in. That it's, it's true presently, but it will be more true further on. We, we, you and I, we can find reprieve from the weight of fear now. Right now. And not quite yet. Not fully. As we said before, God's the one who designed us with this feeling hardwired in. And part of the reason we have this feeling is that we are commanded to fear God. As we said before, the fear of God is something that's talked about throughout the Bible. Proverbs tells us that the fear of God is actually the beginning of wisdom. So how does the fear of God, who is perfect love, take away fear? It's like a hard circle to navigate. William D. Eisenhower puts it like this. Unfortunately, many of us presume that the world is the ultimate threat and that God's function is to offset it. 
How different this is from the biblical position that God is far scarier than the world. When we assume that the world is the ultimate threat, we give it unwarranted power. For in truth, all of the world's threats are temporary. When we expect God to just balance the stress of the world, we reduce him to the world's equal. As I walk with the Lord, I discover that God poses an ominous threat to my ego, but not to me. He rescues me from my delusions so that he may reveal the truth to me that sets me free. He casts me down only to lift me up again. He sits in judgment of my sin, but forgives me nevertheless. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And love from the Lord is its completion. Pastor Paul Tripp puts it like this. I think that the fear of the Lord is a greatly misunderstood phrase. Because often when we think of fear, we think of the kind of terror that makes you either run away or fight. That heart pounding, what in the world is happening? How can I get myself out of this thing feeling? And that's not at all what the fear of the Lord is. The definition of the fear of the Lord is this. It's such a reverential awe of God that grips your heart that you are willing to listen to his wisdom. You're willing to submit to his commands. You're willing to surrender your will to his will. You're willing to rest in the awesome promises of his grace. The fear of the Lord makes you run towards him, not away from him. I love that because that begins to give us the picture of how we can overcome fear in our lives. The fear of the Lord makes us run towards him, not away from him. And that's what fear of anything should do with us as Christians. It should drive us towards God. And so how can we grow in our emotional maturity when we feel afraid? especially in terms of relationships. I mean, we just dedicated a bunch of kids this morning to the Lord. Parents, I'm just learning this, but we are afraid for our kids in so, so many ways. For their physical health, for what friends they're going to pick, their emotional well-being, most importantly, their soul. We've got fears. What do we do when we're afraid for our kids? Or when we're afraid in any relationship? Well, we had that reminder already this morning. We can run to God. We can trust in God. And we can stay with God. Those things help increase our faith. They increase our love. They make us look more like Jesus. They're sanctifying force. Now, as I mentioned before, there might be barriers for some of us to being able to run to God or being able to trust in God, and we, we shouldn't be quick to just dismiss all of them as a lack of faith. You may need to consider counseling or spending time with a Christian therapist to help you reframe your picture of God. You might need to consider medication if your physiology is not at a normal level. There are legitimate avenues of help in situations of trauma or biological unbalance. 
And friends, even in extreme situations, even in traumatic circumstances, we, you and I, have this courageous heritage of believers that have gone before us that can encourage, encourage us. Joshua took heart at a word from the Lord and led the Israelites into the promised land. Daniel faced lions. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced fire. Esther faced execution. Peter and John went from being terrified at the trial of Christ to boldly preaching the gospel by Acts 4. All throughout history, Christians have been marked by their courage. Maybe on this Sunday especially, it's Reformation Sunday, we think of Martin Luther reclaiming the gospel in the face of the Roman Catholic Church. Friends, we should ask ourselves, what does a Christian who lives a life in fear tell our world? What does it tell our world about what we believe about our God? I love the Apostle Paul's reminder to what he calls his son in the faith, Timothy. Timothy was timid. Paul says to him, my, my dear son, my dear Timothy, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That is the nature of the Holy Spirit. And that same spirit indwells you and I, Christians, our psalm echoes a piece of that promise when it says to be still and know that God is God. It's a powerful reminder for us. Right now, you and I, we have the same spirit dwelling inside of us, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's acting as a deposit of our faith, encouraging us towards Jesus, encouraging us towards the eternity that is going to come. And it gets even better than that. Look with me at verses 4 and 5. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. At first read, we think, that's Jerusalem. The city of God. That's Jerusalem. A holy place. That's got to be the temple, right? It's got to be Jerusalem. But it says, she will not fall. Well, shortly after the psalm is written, Jerusalem's going to fall multiple times. And it says that there's a river in the city. There's no river in Jerusalem. So what city is the psalmist talking about? I can tell you, friends. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. 
and I saw no temple in this city. For its temple is the Lord, God the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city had no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the streets of the city. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This God-inspired writing in the Psalms is calling us, the reader, to long for heaven. The writer doesn't even know what he's talking about. And yet he's painting for us this picture of Jesus Christ restoring everything. He's actively making all things new, friends. And someday soon, you and I, we are going to stand in his presence. And we will be perfected in love. Our faith will not need to increase. It won't even be. There will be no room for fear. It will be banished by the glory of God, gone forever, never to be felt again. Sometimes, friends, we need to look to heaven. We need to long for we need to long to be completely with the Lord. Let me close this morning with words from our loving Father and from our trustworthy King to us. He says this, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And because he says that, we can respond with this. We have the privilege of saying, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray together. Lord God, would you help us by your spirit to run to you, to trust in you when we are afraid. We praise you, God, that you are with us and that through Jesus we will be with you forever. We thank you for him. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.